Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So good morning, Free Life Community Church. How are you this morning? Good morning to our Mecca campus and those of you listening online on our Facebook page and certainly on our radio station. What a delightful day. It's a delightful day because God is in the house. Amen? I appreciate so much the manner and way that God meets with us. Today, we conclude our sermon series on becoming more like Jesus. And I have to tell you, this message this morning and the passage that I'm going to use is literally stunning to me. And I read it over and over and over again. And I thought I knew it pretty well before I put it together in this message, actually. And I realized that there are some phrases and things there that shocked me. And I began to look at it closer. I looked at it different versions. I pulled the Greek and looked at it. I tried to break it apart with my small capability in, in language. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus is pretty clear about what he is saying in this passage. And I'm not sure I grasped it exactly before. I've heard it a thousand times probably. Maybe not that many, but uh, uh, quite a few. And I thought I knew it pretty well inside and out. And I'll bet you, most of you, will say the same. And yet, when you tear it apart and look at it, turn it upside down, read it backwards, and yes, you've got to do that. Well, you can't read it backwards, but you'll start at the last verse and read it, and then go to the verse behind it and read it. And go. Has anybody ever done that? Read backwards that way? It helps you to open. It's a way that we use to learn things better, to look at them. And so it's a really neat way of doing it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. You're going to look at the first 11 verses of the vine and the branches. How many are familiar with that, that passage, the vine and the branches? Only one person. Oh, a, a few of you. Okay, good. The vine and the branches. First of all, are you here today? Are you here today? Are you certain that you're here? Okay. Because you're kind of quiet today. All right? I need you to listen carefully. I need you to open your heart and minds. I need you to look at what God is saying and think, okay, what can I do with this? And in John chapter 15, Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine. Did you hear that? He said, I am not the vine. I am the true vine. Keep that in mind. And my father is the gardener, or the vineyard keeper, depending on what version you have. He cuts off, listen to this, he cuts off every branch in me. <laughs> Did you hear that? Every branch in the sun that bears no fruit. Most Christians want to stop right there and say, that's not true. Jesus said, my father is a gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. 
remain in me and I will remain in you. You hear that? You have to remain in Jesus for him to remain in you. I think already people have conflict. Okay? No branch can bear fruit by itself, although sometimes we still try, yeah? It must remain in the vine. Which one? The true vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, if is the key, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, secondly, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Twice he said it. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Whoa. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, right? If and only if, ask whatever you wish, but only if. Only if you remain in me and I in you. That's the only time you can do it. Only if. Ask whatever you wish, it would be given you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear what? Much fruit, showing yourselves to be what? My disciples. You have to bear fruit to be considered a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? I mean, did I make these words up at all? Are they right here written in front of you? Church? Okay. Verse 9. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, do what? Remain in my love. Did you hear that? Remain in my love. In other words, you can choose not to. Did you hear that? Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If. <laughs> do you see it? Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in His love. Jesus said, I did it, so can you. I stayed in the Father's love, you can remain in mine. But you have to obey the commands to do it. Is that what He says? Okay. I have told you this, listen to this, so that my joy may be complete in you, and that your joy may also be complete. That stuns me because... He's saying that his joy will be complete, and yours will too, if you do these things. But you will not have joy if you don't. This is huge. It's a massive statement by Jesus. And to me, it explains that spiritual growth comes through one thing, and that is persistence. We have to be persistent in our pursuit of the Father. Amen? We must be persistent in our pursuit of the Father. And we can only do that through the Son. Now, believers have to remain faithful in our relationship to God. And Jesus speaks this way because believers clearly had not. He knew that they were falling away when the going got tough, or they had to change their lifestyle, or they had to do things that they didn't want to do, or when Satan came knocking. Sometimes it's easier to join them, right? And that's exactly what people were doing in the church. 
And so he says you have to remain faithful in your relationship to the Father. But you also have to remain faithful to the revelation that God gives you. In other words, when God reveals new things to you that are a new concept or you didn't understand, you have to be faithful to those things too. And that means you might have to change again. People don't like to change. None of us like to change. And nobody wants to hear that, that they're doing something wrong or not to the expectation that the people they're working for or volunteering for expect, including God himself. Sometimes when God gets a hold of me and says, you know, you could be better. Yeah, you did okay there, but you could have been a lot better, and this is why. I don't want to hear that because I want God to say, great job. Keep doing just what you're doing. Why? Because I have to change. I, I don't have to step up my game. I don't have to work harder, smarter, stronger, or more often. And let's face it, we don't want to. But when God says, but I need more from you, what do we typically say? Haven't I given enough? Has anybody done that before? Okay. See, this is what he's saying. And so he says that we have to be faithful to the relationship, to the revelation, and also to the making of disciples to God's glory. How many of you knew you had to make disciples of other people? See, I don't think we understand that too much. Oh, we know the concept, but are we doing it? Right? I mean, that's the key. Making disciples is proof in your action, in the results. John 15 is part of uh, Jesus' last conversation with his core group of disciples, and he speaks extensively about how we are to have a life, get this, in him. You can't have a life in Jesus when you want to and it's convenient and then live the rest of your life whenever you want to. Doesn't work that way. I think Satan is infiltrated the church so much that he is teaching people that they can be a Christian when they're at church and live any way they want to other than that. What do you think? Sound plausible? You can separate your finances, your business, and your social life from your Christianity. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Here's the question. Has God ever said that? Does God ever even indicate that? In fact, does God teach otherwise? Yes, he does. In fact, your Christianity must permeate into all areas of your life. It controls all of it. Yes? If I'm wrong, say so. Does your Christianity permeate and control every area of your life according to the Word of God? Yes. Yes, it does. Then why do we separate it then? Why, why does the world think it's okay to do that? Why does the church think it's okay to separate it? And how is it that we know people who say they're Christians, who go to churches, who are wonderful people, they work Emmaus walks, they, they do uh, other Christian things, and yet they separate their business, their finances, their social life from their Christianity. You know they're doing it. Maybe you've done it. The question is why? How? Where do they get that? God has never taught that. Ever. Has he? And yet that's why the church is weak. Because our yes is not yes, our no is not no. It's whatever it's going to be, flavor of the month. And we'll say what everybody else is doing. It. God's not concerned with it, what everybody else is doing. He's concerned with what who's doing? You. 
Yeah? He says that we need to live a life of fullness and abundancy. I want that. Anybody want a life of fullness and abundancy? He says you have to live a life filled with him. Anybody want a life filled with him? Okay. He says in this chapter that I, we have an I am statement. He says, I am, I am, and I am. What am I? Well, the true vine. It's the last I am statement of the New Testament. He said that he is the bread of life. He says he's the light of the world. He said he's the door to salvation. He says he's the good shepherd. He says he's the resurrection and the life. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And now he tells him, I'm the true vine. I am all these things. Do you believe that as a Christian, that he's all these things? Do you believe that Jesus tells the truth? Do you believe that the word of God is absolutely the truth? Anybody believe that today? Okay. Essentially, Jesus is communicating that he's the source of life, he's the source of joy, he's the source of growth, and he's the greatest impact in the life of every single believer. And if he isn't, you're not saved. I'll say that. He has to be the greatest impact of your life. Anybody, would anybody say that today? He's the greatest impact of my life, I can tell you right now. Anybody agree? Okay. Now, the emphasis that Jesus makes is living in him in order to bear spiritual fruit. Now, it certainly means to make fruit by getting people converted. That's true. But more directly, he speaks to the character of the fruit that you're converting. You understand that? He's talking about the character, the quality of the fruit that's being converted. That's what's important here. Some churches emphasize getting people saved, getting people saved, getting people saved, but they don't disciple those people, and they leave it to them to determine what being a good Christian is. No. Jesus never did that with any of those he converted, did he? No, he did not. In fact, he continued to work with them and on them, and he does so by the power of the Spirit, yes? Okay? And he wants everyone to have a mentor who's a strong Christian to continue to get people to the next level, and the level after that, and the level after that. In fact, he says, you have to grow in me. Because if you don't, the Father will cut you off. Yeah. Doesn't he say that? So, interestingly, as I look at this, I'm thinking, okay. The fact is, we're to be more and more like him, being an example for others to become what? More like him. And when others see us, what should they see? Jesus. Question is, do they? Right? I mean, it's a fair question. You, you, shouldn't you ask yourself, if, if others look at me, what do they see? Yeah. Do they see me or do they see him? That's, that's a tough place to be sometimes, isn't it? And, and it's especially tough when you know you failed. Anybody? Is it tough when you failed? Yeah. And you know it. So... Jesus knew that people would be so enamored with simply getting saved that they might not go the distance in the race. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's talking about here. They feel so good about just being in the race that they never leave the finish line. Have you ever seen that before? I've seen it, especially if you've ever gone to an a, 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 um, uh, elementary school track meet, you'll see it. The kids, 
are competing for the first time, and mom and dad are all gathered by the fence. They're all taking pictures. I saw this at Wilson Middle School here a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago. Uh, a bunch of kids were all lining up, and uh, when the gun went off, the kids were still cheesing to the parents. <laughs> all the other runners were gone. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good, right? You know, and I appreciate it, you know, that these are kids, and they want, you know. But I think we do that. I thought, gosh, that's, that's sermon material right there, Right? The kids were lined up, and some of the runners were on focus, and they, they took off. But the others were just glad to be in the race wearing the little uniform, right? Boy, don't we look good, Mom and Dad. Look, hey! And everybody else is going around the track already. Chances are pretty good. They're not going to win the race. Might not even finish. Might not. Right? And so it's kind of like that in a Christian life. We feel so good about being in the race that we never leave the finish line. And the text teaches us that we go through our relationship with Jesus through the revelation from him. Jesus reveals things to us when we read the word of God. It's not just the book of Revelation. The whole book is a revelation. Yeah? And every now and then you'll read things and you're like, uh-oh, not really doing that. And I need to. That's a revelation. God's not concerned that you didn't before. He's concerned that now you're aware of it that you fix it because you begin to do it he's concerned where you're going not where you've been amen that's important and so we do that through reproducing disciples for him and we're going to grow and be exactly what he's called us to be i want to grow and be exactly what god has called me to be does anybody want to be exactly what god's called them to be see i'm not sure uh, friends are you here today Well, some of you are. Some of you are. Some of you, I'm not sure where your mind is, but it might not necessarily be in the game here. Okay? You got to listen up here. You got you to grasp this. This is good stuff. God wants to change your life today. He wants to change your life today. And so, not only does he want to have us grow and be exactly what he's called us to be, he wants us, get this, put this in your mind, to finish well. God wants you to finish well. You see, those kids will run around the track. In their life, it'll matter if they come in first, second, third, or fourth, whatever. It'll matter where they place. In the Christian life, placement has no value. God just wants you to finish the race. He wants you to finish the race. And he wants you to finish well. You understand? Finish well to your ability, the gifts he's given you, and your eyes focus on the prize, which is the finish line. He wants all of us to finish well. And so Jesus is pointed in this passage, and honestly, not very many Christians like to dwell on this passage because we don't like what's being said. It scares us. And we feel poorly and bad about what we hear. Why? Because, first of all, we might not be in the pruning bunch, we might be in the ones that are being cut off. And that's scary. Amen? And more than that, we probably know somebody that's well past the pruning stage. And they're being cut off. And that scares everybody. And then, here's the thing, we don't want to believe that God would ever do that. We're taught today in most Christian churches that God would never do that. Friends, we're being taught that God would never do that. And yet Jesus just said, He is doing it. 
What do you do with a passage that you don't like and you don't want to believe, but it's right in front of you? What do you do with it? Well, I would like to think that you listen and say, well, he's God. And if he says it, then it must be true. But some people will go, no, I must be misinterpreting that. Or it must be translated wrong. Surely that wouldn't happen. That's how we justify our behavior or lack of it. And God is saying, no, no, no. And the reason is that Christ is clear that we can't even be a Christian outside of him. And yet there's a lot of people trying to do that. They're trying to be Christians outside of the source of Christianity. Can you believe that? Which means we must be completely obedient and only live in the way he's commanded. And if we don't, we'll fall away. And this is what he's talking about. I do not want to fall away. This is not about, hey, shape up. This is about, hey, don't fall away. Right? This is, don't fall away. God's giving you a choice here. He's, he's not being mean and, 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 and saying, well, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. That's what we do in life. God's saying, no, don't fall away because I'll have no choice but to cut you, and I don't want to. Please don't fall away from me. Please don't stop pursuing me. Please don't stop listening to the revelation I'm giving you. Please don't stop these things. Don't fall away. Allow me to prune you, not cut you off. This is what God wants. It's not an or else. We read it that way sometimes. We feel about that way sometimes. But he's saying, come on. He's trying to draw us to him because we should want to be drawn to him. We should want to be part of the true vine. Yes? And if you're not part of the true vine and you recognize it, wouldn't you want to go to the true vine? Wouldn't you want to be? Wouldn't you want to be regrafted in? Paul says you should. We're going to hear that a little bit later. Paul goes right along with this. Talk about an olive branch. So basically, Christ is trying to draw us to himself. And when we start to fall away, he'll try to prune us. And if that doesn't work, then we'll be cut off and we'll be burned with the dead branches. But that's not his desire. It's not what he wants. You see, most Christians never want to hear this, even when they're one of the dying branches. That's why it's so important to listen. And it's so important to let God speak to us. You see, friends, we're commanded, number one, to bear fruit through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a command. It's not a great suggestion. It's a command. In fact, he claims to be the true vine. The fact that Jesus even has to make this claim proves that we can be connected to vines that are not true vines. Did you hear that? The fact that he even has to say it makes us be aware that there are clearly are vines that are not true vines. That's why he's telling us, make sure you're connected to the true vine. Friends, if Jesus says he's the true vine and that the father is the keeper of the vineyard or the keeper of whatever it is, then the possibility exists for us to be connected to untrue vines. Or he wouldn't say it. I think it's possible that people in the church are connected to untrue vines. You can usually tell, not always. Because sometimes we're real good at it. I have actually known people that wanted to believe a lie and were so good at living the lie that they had a response for every single thing somebody could bring to them. That's, I don't know if that's skill or stupidity. But people do that. 
We want to believe something so badly. We want to make something true that isn't so badly that we'll think of every response we could possibly give to prove our point. And that's not, that's not allowing God to prune you, is it? No, it's not. And so, as I begin to think about that, who do you think the keeper is of the untrue vineyard? It isn't the Father, so who is it? Well, it has to be. He would like nothing more than you to be attached to His vine and make you think you're exactly where you belong. And He's doing it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. Jesus wouldn't speak it. He wouldn't tell the disciples, and He wouldn't tell you and me that this is important. Now, notice that Jesus continues to say that every branch in himself that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, I have a question. What does that look like? What exactly does it look like for Jesus to remove branches that produce no fruit? I mean, if we're being honest here, what exactly is Jesus saying? Now, I can't tell you how many Christians think that Jesus would never remove anybody. I've heard it again and again. I've heard it over and again that Christ would never remove anybody. And yet, does the Bible indicate that? Does it say that? No. No. But we want to believe it. Again, something we want to believe. In fact, people say he would never do such a thing. He accepts and keeps everyone. Everyone. Isn't that what we're constantly told? Isn't that what people always seem to say? Well, if this is true, then what do we do with the passage? Do we ignore it? Do we sort of pass over it? Do we give it very little attention at all? The thing is, clearly Jesus takes producing fruit very seriously. Would you agree with me on that? He takes producing fruit very seriously. If there's a true vine, then there must be true Christians, right? And you can only be a true Christian if you're attached to the true vine. Yeah? It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It's determined by what vine you're attached to. Amen? Isn't that true? Come on, friends, wake up. Isn't it? Okay. So, true Christians are connected to Christ like a branch that's connected to a vine. We receive our life from Jesus Christ. We receive our sustenance from Jesus Christ. And our growth in the likeness of Christ is in direct proportion, get this, to our connection to the life of Christ. you you, you got to get this. It's on proportion. Are we expected to produce like Jesus Christ? Yes. Is it an option? No. Not at all. And if you make it an option, here's what's going to happen. Well, then you won't produce. If you make producing for Christ an option, you won't. Anybody with me? You agree? You won't. So you have to answer the question. What will Jesus do with those that do not produce? He, he said right here what he's going to do. And somehow, somewhere, somebody's going to hear this message and say, oh, well, I don't believe that. You don't? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying what isn't true. I'm repeating what he said. I don't know how else to take it. Now, if I'm wrong, if, if I've misinterpreted Scripture, I hope somebody gets a hold of me and proves to me that I've done it wrong. But that's not, how, that's not what it reads. And I don't know how anybody would read it any differently. 
And yes, believe it or not, it says the exact same thing in every version of Scripture by every publisher, by every translation that's out there. It says the exact same thing, just in a different way. I take the Word of God as the Word of God. Amen? And I'm taking it as such. So here's the question. If you want to be a producer, what does that look like? <laughs> right? If you want to be a producer, what does it look like? I mean, how do you do it? Well, clearly he says we have to connect to the life of Jesus Christ relationally. Jesus has to be your personal Savior, and you, he's got to be like your best friend. He's got to be like, you've got to be in contact with him all the time, yeah? You've got to be in constant fellowship with Christ. Has anybody ever done that? Constant fellowship with Jesus? And if not, who are you in fellowship with? I mean, who, who's most important in your life? What's most important in your life? Who are you talking to mostly? You could be somebody else or it could be yourself. I'm one of those people that constantly talks to myself. I, and I'm not talking to myself. I'm, re, I'm speaking aloud my thoughts because it helps me to think. Anybody do that? Yeah. They claim intelligent people do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying <laughs> that's what they say. And my wife gets up and walks out. <laughs> Psychologically, uh, the claim is that really intelligent people never just read or hear something and leave it. They constantly mull over on it. They look at it in every, and they, they speak it. They, they hear it. They read it. They, all of these things. Because sometimes when you read something, I'll, I'll be reading along, and I'll, and I'll stop, and I'll read it out loud. Does anybody do that? Yeah, because hearing it makes me think, does it really say that? And so that's what I do. And I think, I think it helps us. That's, that's how I learn. That's how I look at things in a different way. But this is where it starts. You had to believe in God because even believing in Christ doesn't make you a, a Christian. There are a lot of people that believe in Christ, but they're not Christians. Just saying believer means you're a practicer. If you're not a practicer, that's, it's not the same thing. You have to be connected to Jesus personally. And our relational connection with Christ is cultivated by focusing on him in our fellowship with him and functioning just like him. Do you know I have called myself a Christian for many years and sometimes I don't function like one. I don't mean to, but it happens, yeah? And listen, I don't care who you are, if you're a pastor or whatever, if you, if you say you always function like Jesus, my guess is you're delusional because you're a human. Now, should you be sinning? No. No, you shouldn't. In fact, it, it doesn't happen very often. But every now and then, right? I told you last week that uh, sometimes I say things in the car as I'm driving. I didn't mean they were bad things. But what I do mean is sometimes they could be better than they are. Yeah? I could be a better Christian than I was. Yes? Right? You can prove. And there are certain things you ought not say. Because no benefit comes from it at all. And it doesn't honor Jesus anyhow. Right? And you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to do something silly in the car in front of me, and what am I going to do? Even though I'm sitting here right here telling you I don't want to. But I want to be connected to Christ so that those things don't happen. Okay? That they don't happen. And they're less and less, yeah? And I know myself, and I know that, you know, three or four years ago, five years ago, whatever, maybe I would have responded this way, even though it wasn't bad, it wasn't best. And so now today, when I don't, I'm like, see, the old self would have done that. 
And that means that Jesus is working in me, yeah? And that's what I want. I want every benefit he has. Anybody? Every one of them. And I, want, I, I don't want to go, I want to go past this, what I didn't say. I want it to start in here. The, the thought isn't even there anymore, yeah? That's Christ cleaning you up. It's cleaning you and making you different than you were before. And it doesn't matter what everybody else is or not. What's he doing in you? That's where I'm standing today. And so, friends, we have to think on Christ. We have to talk to Christ in prayer. We have to live like Christ in the world and in this modern society, and that's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to be the Word of God Christian, is it? It's much easier to be what a certain church or people believe Christian, yeah? It's easier to do that because everybody else is doing that. Sometimes, if you're a Word of God Christian, you're going to have to break with certain practices that are happening to people in the church. Because they're not in here, they're in here. Or they're in every place else. And sometimes Christianity goes awry. And this never goes awry. And I'm not telling you to be legalistic. We did that and that doesn't work. Making a bunch of, a bunch of rules for people doesn't work. But we can agree that there are rules in here. Yeah? Okay? So, we want to continually be in here. This is the living Word of God. Not the dead Word of God. It's the living Word of God. Amen? And so we need to be in it, and God will continually teach you through it. So that's what happens. We have to think on Christ, talk to Christ in prayer, live like Christ in this world, in this modern society. But more than that, it means we will look, talk, and act differently than the world is. Sometimes than others in the church are. Sometimes. And the more we do these three things, the more the Lord changes our hearts. And the more he changes our hearts, the more we bear fruit. And when we begin bearing fruit, the more fruit we will bear. Right? Let me explain it to you. I was so excited. My friend, uh, Tom Atkins, you know, we lost Tom to cancer a couple years ago. Tom was, was, he said I was his best friend. Now, that's an honor. I don't take that lightly. And I miss him. And Tom and I would have deep conversations. And all Tom could say is, I, I just want to be more like him. I just want to be more like him. And you know what? He says, and I want to be more like you. And that scared the snot out of me. Right? He said, I, 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 I think you're the same person alone that you are in public. And I thought, gosh, I hope so. Yeah? I'll never forget that conversation because Tom did something for me. And I never forget, he gave me, he, he went to my house, and he, he had blueberry bushes at his house, Tom did. And, uh, and he would say, go over, they're loaded, go over and pick those blueberries, I'll never eat them all, and if I do, I'll get dysentery, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> right? Okay. And so, uh, we would go over, and Jessica, I think you even went over, where's Jessica? Gone, okay, well, even she went over and picked some. And so, Tom said, well, I'm, I'm going to come to your house, I found some blueberry bushes on sale, I'm going I'm to plant them. And so he did. And uh, Tom, you know, of course, they didn't do very well for several years. And I've had them in, I don't know, eight, eight years maybe. And uh, Tom passed away, and I started reading up on them, and I found that probably they could have been planted in a better place. And it was my fault, not his. And so I dug those things up. One of them didn't make it. I had two left, and I put them in a very sunny place, and I gave them uh, azalea <coughs> fertilizer because that's what they, they need in acidic soil. 
uh, and I and I uh, they don't do well with weeds around them, and so I put a lot of mulch around it, and I watered it and kept the moisture in, and they've done very very well. They're getting one of them's really good, and they're producing a lot of fruit. But I remember the first year, Tom said, "Now when they produce fruit the first year, pick it all off." I said, "What?" He said, "Pick it off and throw it away." I said, "Well, no." He said, "No, the first year you pick it off the, and you let it bloom again." So you, it takes time for blueberries, you see. And now they're like, they're like loaded. And I got a couple of branches on one of those bushes. I'm going to have to do what? Cut them off because they're not producing and they're kind of dying out and they got to come off because they're, they're, they're taking nutrients from the ones that are. I have to do it. I don't want to because the bush is going to be smaller. But I have to because I want the vines that are actually producing the fruit. This is what Jesus is saying. Right? I want the ones that are producing to produce more. Because when they start producing and you prune them, they'll produce even more. This is what we have to do. And I, I'll never forget those bushes remind me every time I see them. I see them a lot. And I never forgot what Tom said. Friends, this is huge to me. Jesus tells us that anyone who doesn't live by the word of God If they change the word of God in any way, if they believe things or practice things that are forbidden, that they're going to be removed from the Lamb's book of life. He says that. He says that they will have no part, get this, of the tree of life, which we know to be in heaven. And you're like, is that true? Yes, it is. Would I say it if it wasn't? I don't think you'd think that. But you know what I'm going to do, right? Listen to the words of Jesus himself. Revelation 22, verse 19 in the Holman Christian Standard. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, in other words, if you deviate from it, if you don't teach the fullness of it, if you modify it, if you do those things, God will take his share of the tree of life in the holy city written in this book. He'll take it away. I'm not telling you that. He's telling you that. Look it up yourself. Doesn't matter what branch or version either. It's right there. He will take it away. If you hear anyone say that can't happen, refer them to the truth of this verse. And if you see anyone claiming to be a Christian but living or believing in a, in a manner that's contrary to what Jesus is saying, refer them to this verse. Amen? Let's look closer at this revelation. He says, secondly, that we're commanded to bear fruit through the revelation from Christ. Not the book of Revelation, although that's part of it. You see, Jesus reveals a truth that cannot be changed or compromised. We are forever wanting to modify or change things that we don't like. And why do we do that? We do it to make them easier to accept or more palatable to our own wants and desires. Isn't that true? Am I accurate? We modify or change things to make them easier? Yeah? Yeah? Now listen, there are some things you ought to modify and you should. I remember uh, the first time I, I packed an Alice pack and recruit training at uh, Recruit San Diego a Depot of the United States Marine Corps, and I remember um, a couple things I did I did wrong. I packed the bag wrong. Any Marines ever packed the bag wrong? Did you? Any, any of our soldiers pack a bag wrong? Same thing. An Alice pack was meant to carry everything you have and you need to live and make war 
in one bag. Yes or no? This was made for, and it's got all sorts of little cool little gizmos and gadgets to hang stuff off the outside of it, too. Everything wasn't meant to go inside. Some of it you can hang on the outside. And you've got to learn what goes best on the inside and what goes best on the outside. And if you don't wear it properly, it will wear you out. Am I right, Marines? If you don't pack it right, and if you wear the pack wrong, it will wear you. Yeah? And you'll be like dragging. And everybody else seems to be like cruising right along. And you're like dying. This happens all the time. You have to learn how to do it and do it right. And so you should take that pack off, and I did. And you should learn to pack it properly. And you might not want to ask your drill instructor, but it's a good idea if you do. You might catch some grief for it. You might have to do some calisthenics because of it. But they'll teach you right. They will. And once you do, it'll be better. And I did that. And he had... He <laughs> <laughs> my drill instructor said, dump it out, dump it all out. He said a little more than that. He said, dump it all out. And then he started doing this here. <laughs> and he made it, and he had everybody watching me, and what was happening too. And everybody's going, I'm glad I'm not him. And then he, then he came over there and showed me how to do it right. Just put that in there. Put that in there. He said, hey, dummy, put that in there right. He said, Get, you, don't, you, don't, what, what, you don't need that. You don't need this either. These are the things you need. Put them in there. And these things you hang on the outside, and this is where you put them. You see these, see these little things? That's what they're for. Okay. And once that was done, I had to readjust, and now I could go through life better. So sometimes we have to compromise. We have to fix. We have to adjust. That's good. But we're adjusting and fixing things that God says you shall not. There are things you should never change because God said this is the way it's done. This is the way I want it. This is the way you do it. In fact, he holds those who claim to be Christians to a higher standard. He always has. And clearly in these verses, Christ tells us that we're cleansed by the word and that we must live like it completely. Not when you want to, how you want to, but completely the way he says so. He says we're to be conformed into his image by the word. I believe that. And that we must look like him. And looking like Jesus means exactly what he says it is. Not what you think it is. Not what you want it to be. Not what others say it is. But what he says. And lastly, he says we're brought closer to the Father by the word. And if we go, go deeper into this, what it means, we see that we're actually to look like the Father. In fact, if you look at what Jesus says, it makes perfect sense because God created humanity how? In his image. He created humanity in his image. God did. More to the point, God gave humanity the ability to procreate, which means to make exact duplicates of God's image. Now, we all look different, but we look like God. You understand? Our facial features are different. Our body sizes and shapes are different. Sure, I get that. But every human largely looks like every other human. You would know if it's human or not, yeah? Okay, that's the difference. Every human is made in the creation, and we have procreated in the image of God. And don't even get me on how we've destroyed that. That's another ballgame. But we've done that. And God says, no, I gave you the authority and the ability and the gift of procreating in my image. So, as I began to think about that, I remembered that Jesus is an exact representation of the Father. Does the Bible say that he is? Yes, it does. 
So, not only are we created and procreated just like the Father through Jesus the Son, with the help of the Holy Spirit of God living in us, and, and because this is so, we can think, believe, act, and live, get this, just like the Father. Just like the Father. So when the Bible says, be like God, can you? Yes. And that makes us look like Jesus in every way, which in turn makes us like the Father in every way. This is exactly what Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer. And so Christ makes it clear that we cannot bear fruit without him. So why are we trying? Why are you trying to live a brand of Christianity that isn't the one he put out there? That's what you're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. And when we're not bearing fruit for him, we're clearly not relationally connected to him. And when this happens, whether we know it or not, we're withering and dying. We are withering and dying, and our Christianity doesn't look much like Christianity. Amen? And that's why the church teaches that if you aren't growing, what are you doing? Dying. And it comes from these verses. And yet, we have tremendous hope. Why? Because when we're connected and thriving, we experience more answered prayer. And I'll tell you the truth, I want more answered prayer in my life. Anybody want more answered prayer? Does anyone wish that every prayer you made and that you brought up that God answered? Yes, I would think so. And so basically what he's saying is, if we're connected to him relationally, then our prayers are going to get answered. And if we're not connected to him relationally, they might not, probably won't. In fact, he says that in order for our prayers to be heard and acted upon, we must live in him. You hear that? You have to live in him. Jesus demands that we live in him, not any other way, but in him. And the translation actually means we must get this remain in him. Not just live, it means remain in verses 4 to 16, Jesus uses the term remain 11 times based on the version that you might have. And the Greek word used here by Jesus is paramenai or paramena. And what it actually means is to continue steadfastly in and with a person. It's a continual practice, a continual relationship. And Christ is calling us to be in that relationship with him so that we can do what? Bear fruit like him in ourselves and in others. And we have to do so in the word of God, which actually is the person of Christ. How do I know? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And Jesus, friends, is the word of God. He is the beginning word, and he is the end word. And Jesus commanded us to make disciples in between. It's really that simple. We've made it way harder than it is. Amen? Thirdly, we're commanded to bear fruit through producing or reproducing disciples for Christ. I think this is a big one. Why? Because Jesus is clear that being a Christian is more than just a name. It's more than just a title. But that's what the church has made it, unfortunately, or people in the church have. In other words, you can think you're a Christian as much as you want to. You can even say you're a Christian, but you are not one unless you produce more Christians. Again, did I say that? He did. You see, we're constantly talking about how we want to be a good Christian. And I understand that desire. Everybody wants to be a good Christian. Everybody in here wants to be a good Christian? Yeah. Don't you? Everybody online, you want to be a good Christian? Yeah. Mecca, you want to be a good Christian? Yeah. Everybody wants to be a good Christian. The question is, what is that? 
Is it what you think it is? Clearly, no. It's what he says it is. And so let's talk about that. Because when we say that, we're actually pursuing something within ourselves sometimes. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you, you say, I want to be a good Christian. A lot of times you pursue that which, which is within you and what you think it is. Or somebody's taught you that it is. Or you want to believe that it is. Jesus doesn't give you that authority. He doesn't give you that, that ability. You see, we try to be better Christians by doing things which we think makes Jesus happy. Has anybody ever done that? Try to be a, a better Christian or a good Christian by doing things that you think will make Jesus happy? Has anybody ever done that? Yeah. He didn't say do that. That's not what he said. He said, seek me, you'll find me, and I'll tell you what to do. Yeah? In order to, to do that, you have to pursue him on a daily basis. Right? We'll try to behave as a Christian, meaning not using bad language, not getting angry, not breaking the Ten Commandments. That's, but that's within yourself. That's you setting up and saying, well, I know that you know, as a Christian, I ought not do that. Because then people will even tell you that. People that aren't Christians will come and say, oh, you talk like that, or you do this, and you don't, or you do that, and you call yourself a Christian. See, people think they know what the standard of Christianity is. We've made a whole list of things, and churches make a whole list of things, and denominations make a whole list of things that they think is Christian. And yet, over the years, we've had to change some of those things. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible's all about the relationship right here. And if you have a relationship with God, you have a relationship with Jesus, He will teach you every day what a Christian really is. And you won't need rules. Because you're going to follow His. Whenever you've got to start looking at rules and regulations that somebody set out, that's a problem. Those are guidelines, nothing more. They're guidelines. And I agree that there are certain things as a Christian you ought not do. And there are certain things as a Christian you should do. Yeah? But where do they come from? See, I don't, I don't want to set any rules and regulations in our congregation unless people understand what they're there for and why. And I want to teach my kids the same thing, and I try to. When I would correct my children or give them certain things that they could or could not do, I told them why. Now, there's a lot of times they didn't always get it. They didn't agree with me, but at least they understood. Why? Was I always right? Probably not. But at the moment, I thought I was. But God is always right every time. You know, somebody once said, you know, the customer is always right. Well, that's not true. I can tell you right now, I've been in retail. The customer is not always right, but they are always the customer. Right? Here's the thing, and we need to think about this. In your humanness, you might not think that God is right on certain things. But what is he? Always God. That's enough, isn't it? That's enough. And so I began to think about that more and more. We're not just a name. What you think you are, what you believe you are, isn't the answer. And I began to think about that more and more and more, and I thought, okay. Maybe we're even trying to study the Bible. Maybe we're even attending a life group. And we might look pretty good in relation to non-Christians where we work. But that doesn't mean you are one. No, does it? And if you are, maybe you're not the best you could be. Yeah? I want to be the very best Christian that I can be in here. Know what he says it is. I would like to think that everybody in here says the same. But let me say this to you. God does not simply want you in me to be a Christian. That's not what he wants. 
He doesn't just want you to be a Christian, that's it. He wants us to be disciples who make disciples. In verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to, my and prove to be my disciples. He says that a true disciple actually reproduces. A disciple not only reproduces the character of Christ, but he or she also carries out the commission of Christ. How many disciples of Christ have you reproduced? It's a fair question, isn't it? How many have you reproduced? Only a mature Christian can make disciples. So you have to become a mature Christian. So how do you do that? See, some people think they're a mature Christian and they aren't. Because they're not producing disciples. And if you aren't, then you're not. That's what he says. So I began to think about that a little bit. I thought, okay. We become mature by ministering for him. You've got to serve. You've got to jump in, get your royal sleeves up, and do whatever is required and necessary. And don't, you know, here's, here, here's how we volunteer. Give me a list of things that can be done, and I'll check off the things I'm willing to do. That's not a true servant. A true servant does things they don't care to do. Yeah? Is, is, is that not, is there not a correlation there? A real servant will serve in any capacity that's needed, and it won't matter what it is. Is that true? Come on, you know it is. That's a true servant. All of us will serve in ways that we want to, but a true servant will serve in ways that they're asked to or that they have to. I could get into more of that, but I'm running out of time. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus took a ragtag group of failures. The people he chose had garbage, or garbage, had baggage, sorry. He took a ragtag group of failures. They had baggage, a lot of it. They were rough, outspoken. They were crass, a little self-centered, and very self-protective. Some were timid, some were uncertain, and a little shy. And they were all scared to death, and they were all scared of change. That's a fact. Look at their lives. But he took them anyway. He took this ragtag group of people, and he used them to establish his church. How about that? And Christ wants to use you to bring glory to God and good to the world through the reproducing of disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, we can serve people in many ways. Serving others is good. We can fulfill needs. We can be a friend. We can give money and food. We can bless them in other ways too. But the greatest and most pressing need is to bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything else. And no matter how much you serve others, if you aren't somehow trying to bring them into Christ, then what else you're doing is worthless. And those people will keep coming back for the things that you offer as long as they can get them, never getting any closer to Christ if you let them. Does that mean you should stop serving people that won't come to Christ? No. But what it might mean is you might need to divert your attention to others who might. Because some people will never become a disciple of Jesus Christ, no matter what you do for them. Let God be your guide. He's your discernment. Don't spin your wheels. And don't continue to sow seed where it will never grow. Jesus said that too, didn't he? Lastly, we're commanded to remain in Jesus' love. Are you serious? I have to remain? Did, did he say that? Remain? What? Could, could I lose that? Could I not remain in his love? That's what he says. What? That's not true. He says it is. 
What do you do with that? I've never had to preach on this before. I've never done it. And I'm thinking, how do I say that? And God says, simple, just as I did. Does this mean I might fall out of Jesus' love? No. The fact that Jesus would even say it ought to make us look up and take notice. I began to think about that more. And I decided I'm going to let God explain it to you better than I could. But the fact is, we remain in Jesus' love by obeying His commands. That I do know. That I do know. This comes directly from the mouth of Christ Himself, and clearly it takes persistence. Jesus said in John 14, verses 12 to 15, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commands. Those are it's right in line together, just like that. You can do none of the previous if you will not obey his commands. And I think that's why the church is not as powerful as it once was, because we're asking God for things and to do things in the name of Jesus, but we're not obeying all the commands. And when you won't, how is he going to benefit you with some and not others? He can't. He won't. You can't pick and choose which commands you're going to obey and then expect God to move on the prayers you offer up. Amen? You can't do it. And we've got to stop trying. Instead of asking God for things or trying to do good things in His name, why don't we stop, take a step back, reorganize, right? Remember that Alice pack? Repack it, do it right. This time, focus on Him and obey every single one of His commands. Do it. And then see what God will do. Then see what God will do. Paul explains it further in Romans 11, 17 to 21. Some of the branches, listen to this, have been broken off in you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off so that I can be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand on faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For God did not spare the natural branches. He will not spare you either. Man, that's huge. Oh, my goodness. Do we need to get a hold of that one? Clearly, the only way this takes place is that the Holy Spirit is living within us. We can reject the Holy Spirit. We can even hinder the Spirit. Jesus said we could. But more than that, we can limit the Spirit's control within us, and I think that's what we've done. We've limited the Spirit's control within, and, this, and it's very dangerous because when this happens, what are we doing? We're not pursuing Christ. We're pursuing us in some manner, and you know where that leads. Be persistent in pursuing Jesus, my friends, and on that day, you'll be counted among the sheep, and everybody wants to be. And you're going to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant, herein lies your reward. And as our worship team comes, Scotty, or whoever's wearing worship up there. In the Christian life, everything rises and falls on relationship. It falls or rises on revelation, and it falls or rises on reproduction. Our relationship with Christ has to take priority, and we have to get this, cultivate it daily. I hate that because when I have a garden, I'll cultivate it one day, and the next day, there's more weeds. I can't figure it out. I just cultivated. 
And here they are. Overnight, they've cropped back up. And I killed them. I know I did. And here, you know what happened? Go two days and see what happens. Go a third. You won't believe it. It'll be overrun. And I'm like, well, then you get discouraged. You don't want to cultivate anymore. Then you think you shouldn't put a garden out at all. Grandma said every day. You know why? Because she knew what it took for a good garden. And God says every day because he knows what it takes to be a good Christian. Hmm? Cultivate every day. And when you do, friends, you'll be producing disciples for Christ, which must be never-ending work. In other words, we're commanded to engage in this type of behavior constantly. May the Lord help us to bear fruit through relationship, through revelation, and through reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ. And we'll do so to the glory of God. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.